You're listening to The Bookstorian Podcast, a podcast for book lovers and bookstagrammers. Hello and welcome to The Bookstorian Podcast. My name is Tegan and I am your host. On this episode of the podcast, Greta from at Greta's Book Club and Sophie from sophies.little.library join me to talk about their bookstagram accounts and The Last Migration by Charlotte McConaughey. This is a book that we all absolutely adored and we highly encourage you to read it prior to listening to the podcast. There are a few little spoilers in there, so just beware and I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Book Story and Podcast, Greta and Sophie. How are you both today? Great, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, great, thank you. Echo the sentiments. <laughs> I'm looking forward to having a chat about this book today. It is The Last Migration by Charlotte McConaughey and it's something that I certainly wish that I had read a lot sooner than I have, but I've read it now, I'm in love with it now, and I'm really keen to record an episode about it so we can share the love about the book. We always begin with an icebreaker question on the podcast, and my question for you both today is what book is responsible for giving you a book hangover? Greta, would you like to go first? Yeah. Um I think mine's probably a bit of a basic one, but I'm going to have to go with A Little Life. It is um, I'm by Hanya Yangahara, I think, and I'm sure I've butchered that. I'm sure many people have read it. It's very long and you sort of get to know these four best friends at college and you go through their life from uni as they get older. And it's just, it's so sad. <laughs> and it, it just draws you in. And once you finish, you're like, I just can't leave this world. I don't know how any book will live up to it. Well, at least that's my experience. A lot of people don't like it. And I can understand that as well. It's really interesting because I interviewed Marta from At Lutula um, on the podcast episode for episode two of this season. And she actually mentions that that's a book for her that's worth the hype. Um, and she explains why she enjoys that book. But yeah, it's definitely one that's very popular on Bookstagram. Sophie, what about you? What's a book that's giving you a book hangover? Funny that Greta should say that too, because A Little Life is the book hangover book for me as well. Um, I don't generally get book hangovers. I tend to move on from books really quickly, but th that is certainly one that has just really crawled under my skin and stayed there. And I, yeah, it's taken a long time to emotionally recover from, I'm probably still recovering from it, to be honest. It's, um, yeah, definitely a heavy read, but like, um, like you said, worth the hype, definitely worth the hype. Mine was actually going to be the last migration because when I finished it, I just was like, how am I going to read anything else now? Like it's just left quite a mark. Um, so then for interest sake, when I flicked through and had a look at my books throughout the year and kind of had a look at when my reading dropped, it was after reading A Court of Silver Flames by Sarah J. Mars. And I think it was because I really loved the book and I really enjoyed being in that fantasy world. It was really hard to pick up another book afterwards that I enjoyed just as much. And I went through three different books that I did not finish a single one of them. So I think it, I think that that's definitely responsible for a book hangover. <laughs> so both of you are joining me today because you have bookstagram accounts. So Greta, we have had a discussion on season two of the podcast about book clubs and our discussion went for so long that I ended up making it two episodes because we just kept talking consistently about book clubs and why we loved book clubs. So if you are interested um, and you're listening, I highly recommend going back and listening to that episode. It's a really great one that tells you about book clubs and gives you some information about how to start one and how to run one. 
But Greta, for those people who haven't listened to that episode, could you describe your bookstagram feed for us? Yeah, um, it's it's pretty simple. I just take a picture of the cover of the book in front of some sort of various plants, which requires a lot of dog walking. So everyone in the family is very happy about that. And um, then I just review the book in the caption. I quite often think of you when I'm out in the neighbourhood and taking a photo of like someone else's floral plant or tree in their front yard. And I was like, oh, is this too far? What did Greta say? Like, how many steps in do you check sometimes? Um, so, yes, it, it, I, but it, it pays off. It's a beautiful feed. It pays off. What about you, Sophie? Can you describe your bookstagram, which is sophies.little.library? So that's Sophie's Little Library with full stops in between. Yeah, so my, my bookstagram feed has changed quite a lot in the time that I've had my account, which mostly is because a year ago um, I installed a library into my second living area. Um, so that now features in, in a lot of my photos. It's either in the background of reviews or I use my reading chair for book stacks and that kind of thing. So um, I try to keep it fairly simple, mostly because I'm pretty lazy. <laughs> um, there's lots of um, really beautiful bookstagram accounts out there that I know that I just would never be able to emulate if I tried to. So I just, yeah keep my feed as simple as I can with the yeah, books and my shelf and my reading chair and the odd glass of wine is involved as well. So yeah, pretty, pretty simple, but I love, um, well, showing off and sharing my, my library space too. It's been a really lovely part of my home. So I've enjoyed watching your videos this week where you shared actually creating the library and that you act, that you won uh, some prize money from the chase is how you actually funded your shelves. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So I was on the chase back in 2019. Um, I was on mat leave and I was obsessed with the chase. I watched it all the time and auditioned and got on and somehow managed to win $10,000, um, which, yeah, went a long way with, um, with paying for the library. So it was an exciting way to do it and a bit of a funny story now to look back on. <laughs> I don't think $10,000 is a funny story at all. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that we've actually all... So we're on a Zoom call for people who are listening and, and we can see one another and we're, we have each positioned ourselves in front of our bookshelves, as, which is really nice. You can kind of see each other's library and, and see some books on each other's shelves. So that's really sweet. If you could describe one of your favourite pictures you've ever posted, Greta, what would it be? Um, I think this is a hard question. I... I don't know, <laughs> I guess why it's, it's a hard question because I couldn't say an answer. I, I always get very excited when we find plants that aren't green, just something to mix it up. Um, that's always a big win. But other than that, I don't know, I, I don't have a favourite, sorry. What about you, Sophie? Do you have a favourite picture? Yeah, there was one um, from a couple of months back. It was a Sunday morning and I was in the library with a big crazy jumper on and I had a cup of coffee and the morning sun was streaming in and I thought, oh, this looks like a photo opportunity. So I snapped a quick photo um, and I love it. I look at that photo and feel so cozy and warm and happy and it's actually been one of my best performing posts too, which is quite funny. One of those um, ones that wasn't planned and just seemed to work out really well. It's nice how sometimes those organic moments uh, can be the most like um, memorable as well like you you don't even really think too much about it and um and suddenly yeah it becomes a favorite what what do you actually love about the bookstagram community sophie i think this is probably the answer that everyone would give but just i love the people i love just having like-minded people to talk about books with and just to discuss what i'm reading and 
people that actually care a lot more about the books that I read instead of people in my life that maybe would get sick of me banging on about books all the time. But um, as well as that, just different recommendations and learning about new books and new genres and different, um, like, I've learned a lot from the books that I've read that I might not have read if I hadn't been recommended them. So yeah, the people and the recommendations are really what does it for me. I certainly think it's made me more of a diverse reader. So I probably was like very historical fiction based, but I think since starting a bookstagram account and seeing lots of other recommendations, like things from fantasy to contemporary fiction to even some of the classics, it's a really diverse space. And I suppose it, it depends how much you sort of cultivate your feed and the accounts you choose to follow as well. But it certainly um, broadened my, my reading capacity. What about you, Greta? What do you love about the bookstagram community? Yeah, I agree with everything that both of you have said. I sort of accidentally stumbled into it in lockdown last year and I was just sort of looking for something to do. And it's just nice to have a corner of the world where people agree with, not agree, but interested in what you're saying and they share your passion and that's just really exciting. And I agree with what you said, Tegan, like, you know, now I'm considering reading A Court, A Thorn of Roses, which I don't think I ever would have read. I've never been into fantasy, but it seems like a, a bookstagram, like you have to do it. And, you know, it's sort of a rite of passage, I feel. Yeah, I adored it. And I, I, it was definitely a bookstagram made me do it. Um, and I've, I've, I do really struggle with fantasy. I know I've said that multiple times on the podcast, but this is just something different. It doesn't feel like it's too hard to build the world and you have that uh, romance narrative throughout it, strong female protagonist. Like it ticks a lot of boxes for me. So on the podcast today, we are going to talk about The Last Migration by Charlotte McConaughey. And she is an Australian author who was initially writing YA sci-fi fantasy books. And this is her first work of literary fiction. It was inspired by a trip to Iceland and she herself has a passion for the environment. And when I've heard her speak on other podcasts, she, she believes that writing is something that you do to help communicate a message or a deeper meaning to other people. And I certainly think that she has done that in this book. And, and that's one of our questions we're going to discuss a little bit later. And uh, the need to kind of create a novel that didn't just let us all off the hook was at the forefront of her writing. So normally when we read a novel, you know, it might be set in a completely different time period or one um, hundreds of years in advance or one that was in the past. And you're like, oh, I can't really do much about it. But this was at the forefront of her mind when she wrote this book is how can I make it so the people reading this book don't feel as if they're off the hook for this problem that, that is happening and occurring. So the way that I would describe this book is it is a highly reflective and emotional read with a cast of fishy characters and familiar towns, including Newfoundland. So if you've ever seen Come From Away, um, Newfoundland is actually mentioned in this story. Uh, there's a complicated marriage and a deep passion to protect the planet. The Last Migration is a must-read novel from Australian author Charlotte McConaughey. So The Last Migration is a work of speculative fiction, and I love saying that word now. It's, it seems like it's a new genre for me. And, I, it, and it's clear that the book is set slightly into the future. But my first question for you is how far in advance do you think the story is set? Sophie, what do you think? 
Oh, I think part of the appeal of the book was that it felt so scarily real. Like it feel like it felt like it could be happening right now. Um, and I would say it's definitely a not too distant future, like 10, 20 years, if that, um, which is quite horrifying. <laughs> definitely. What about you, Greta? I'm not, I'm not sure. I, the premise of the book is that 80% of the animals are no longer in existence. Is that's right? I've said the right number. Um, it's been since January since I've read it, guys, where Tegan said she's going to help me out with the small facts. I would say more like 50. Like I felt like it would be in my lifetime, but not in the imminent future. And I feel like I was hopeful that there was something that I could do to push it back or to prevent it or to make it not as drastic as it could be. But it definitely, especially in like the context of all the discussions that we have about climate change felt like imminent future like I guess what she wanted to like she couldn't let us off the hook we had to do something or this is going to happen yeah I thought it was certainly clever in the way that it felt like it could it could be tomorrow like it but it still certainly had a, a little bit of futuristic elements but there was a few things that I was like uh I wonder how far this actually is because one part of the story there was a reference to her great-grandfather being in the light horse parade and I was like that's like world war one sort of era and like my own great grandfather fought in the first world war and and i'm and i know the character herself is around like 34 i think and i'll be 30 this year i'm like so is it meant to be like five years in the future um and i also there was one other thing that i kind of thought about and definitely um was meant to look into but she describes the trackers that she puts on the birds as like a little um tiny finger so i kind of wonder what a bird tracker actually does look like today and whether or not that that was a little bit of a hint of a technology and, and something that's quite futuristic. Uh, one more thing I was meant to have a have a little look into, but I do liken this story to A Life on Our Planet by David Attenborough. And he kind of steps through different ages and different time eras and what it is that will be happening in the future. So it's like in 50 years time and hundred years time and 200 years time to sort of check in with his um, prediction and see where that might've fallen. So I think you're probably around right Greta in that, like it wouldn't be more than probably 50 years in the future. So, and yeah, certainly could be within our lifetime. Yeah. I um, just jumping back on the topic of speculative fiction. This is slightly off topic, but very interesting. I think was at a, um, authors talk with Breeley about her new book who gets to be smart and she said that she's just coming out she's starting to write a fiction book now and her big struggle is does she set it before COVID happened or during COVID or does she try and guess what the world is going to look like post-COVID and set it in that which is like obviously a risk and I guess what Charlotte McConaughey has done with this book and she's definitely pulled it off but it was just really interesting hearing authors talk about how like when a big world event happens, it's really hard to like put your fiction book in a time period. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point. It actually, it makes me think of the book that I've just finished reading, which was seven days, oh, seven days in June uh, by Tia Williams. And she was very deliberate about like writing 2019 like consistently. It was like, yeah, in 2019, da, 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 da. I was like, Oh, so I bet this book was written and was meant to be set in 2020 and the authors kind of had to like backpedal a year because of what's happened and occurred. And there's a lot of like different literary events that the characters go to that probably wouldn't have actually happened in 2020. So it's certainly um, a very interesting time to watch that speculative fiction and see how much of the world's changed. But I do agree that 
I think the, I think that it's kind of um, brushed over in the last migration because it doesn't really have to be mentioned in there as well. So we have a really strong protagonist in this novel and it's quite interesting um, because I feel like my attitudes towards her change throughout the entire novel. Greta, how did you feel about Franny as our protagonist? I really liked her and I think that's why I liked this book so much is because I felt like I could see a lot of myself in her a lot of the things that she was sort of like musing about and contemplating are things that I had been musing about and contemplating over the past year so it felt like very reflective for me which I think is why I enjoyed it so much. What about you Sophie? I loved her as well. I thought she was such a unique character. I've never read anyone quite like her. Um, I just found her inner voice and her passion and then the melancholy that's on the other side of that passion. So, so interesting. Um, and that whole concept of that, like wanderlust, always, always needing to move, never being able to stay in one spot, how hard she found that. Just such an interesting concept. Um, yeah, I was I was really taken in by her right from the start. I thought she was just such a such a fascinating character. And her connection to nature as well. Um, like her just desire to be near the, near the water and in the ocean. And um, I loved, really loved that part of her too. There's an interesting explanation as to why she has that uh, pull towards the water and that care for nature and that sort of wanderlust, like itchy feet. And the inspiration for this character is a Selkie, which is a Celtic like folklore legend who shed, who can shed their fur and become human. But instead of a seal, Franny is, um, Franny has feathers. So it's, it's really beautiful when you have a look into the, a Selkie and what a Selkie represents and the actual folklore stories behind it because a Selkie themselves don't tend to stay in one place for too long. And I thought that was a really beautiful way to kind of modernise a Celtic legend. I found it was really intriguing because she kind of goes from at the beginning of the story as as a perpetrator, like we, we can see that she's clearly been to jail, but you start to potentially think like, oh, she's obviously done something wrong that's, that's landed her in jail. But it flips by, we, by the time we get to the end of the story and she's definitely more, she's the victim more so than ever before when, by the time we get to the end there. There's also a huge cast of minor characters. Sophie, which minor character did you like and why? I'm going to struggle with his name here because it's been a little while since I read it, but there was one of the, one of the fishing crew. Um, I think he was the one whose family was in Newfoundland. Is it Sam? Is that? Yes, Sam. Sam. Yeah. So I loved, I loved him um, as a character, but I actually just loved the whole fishing crew as, as a, as a general thing. They, their individual characters were so interesting. Their dynamic was really um, just, oh, I loved reading about it. And I, I loved how they, how well Charlotte McConaughey painted them as both, part of the problem but a victim of the problem um i thought that was a really interesting way to explore how we're all going to be affected by climate change in the future um but and i also really loved niall her husband i found there was a lot about him that i yeah i thought was really special so um yeah there's a lot of really great characters though yeah it is certainly very hard to just pinpoint one and i think because they each have their own little shining moment throughout the story as well and you get to know them a little bit better what about you greta which minor character did you like and why uh i i agree with sophie i i loved sam i loved his backstory with his family that we really got to explore but i also loved leah she was just very cool like she was like badass and i was like you are fun like she was just a cool character to have 
in the book. Um, but yeah, it was just, I totally agree with what Sophie said. It was so well done. They were all, they were so eclectic and they were so unique and they were so well built. And you, you felt like you knew who would be on the boat and when things would happen, you, you knew how they would, should react and when they reacted that way. Like, you, you know, it was all very realistic. And I'll be so interested to see how they do that because there's a movie coming out and I'm so interested to see how they do that cast as a movie. Yeah, very much so. I think uh, Ennis would probably have been my favourite character. He's he just uh, my favourite minor character. Um, he just seemed to be very intriguing, and there was certainly this like like-minded souls intertwining with Franny because he, for me, I thought he sort of quite easily was like, okay, like I'll trust you, I'll follow you, and um, yeah. So I thought he was quite quite intriguing in his own right. I'm not sure if you would agree though, but with the ending, I feel like I just didn't get enough of a resolution for any of the minor characters. Like we knew what happened to Niall, we knew what happened to Franny, but with the rest of everybody else, like the last moment we see Leah, she's, she appears to be lifeless on the deck of a boat and we don't actually know what happens to any of them? What did you guys think about the resolution for those characters? Did you, do you agree with what I'm saying or was something there and I missed it? I was, I wonder whether these people who are like working in fishing boats have like a higher responsibility than other people and like what everyone's individual roles are in terms of like climate change rather than character building because they didn't really move the plot they sort of just came in at one point and accompanied Franny with her journey so maybe it was more for us to think about their role and then our role I don't know I don't just a question for you guys as well I guess yeah I I actually felt the same way taking that at the end I thought oh I, I like things to be tied up and I like to know what happened to to everyone and and not to have that yeah that final tied up neat bow was a bit tough but I also think that because Franny was such that strong protagonist and it was really her story. I can kind of see why that, why they got left un, unfinished in some ways. Um, but yeah, I, I'm worried about poor old Leah. <laughs> yeah. I've actually never felt so strongly about not knowing what happens to other characters because most of the time I brush it off. I'm like, well, that's real life. Sometimes you actually just don't know what happened to other people, but yeah, I almost to the point where I'm like, I feel like writing to the author and being like, can you just tell me like what happened to some of the minor characters? I'd really like to know. <laughs> We've already identified that the story itself is a warning about global warming. And it is a prevalent issue that is within our own lives at the moment. But this book amplifies it to show this is actually what could happen. What do you think the messages that the author wants us to take away and to carry with us after we finish reading Greta? I think, um, as we sort of discussed earlier, I think it's a call to action and it's, it's showing a bleak future and, and maybe it's over bleak. Like maybe 80% of the animals can't go extinct that fast. I, I don't know the science behind it, but I mean, and from what I hear, it is rapid and we do need to do something, but I think, she wants us to know that it will happen when it happens. Like, it's not just going to be that we don't have animals and, and we'll feel sad because we don't have them. It'll be that there were people who used to be fishing people and their whole livelihood is gone. And there are people who used to study birds and their whole livelihood is gone. And 
it's more than just the, oh, we won't have animals and that will be sad. You know, like this trying to really tug at our emotions of being like this, these are all the really bad things that are going to happen and making it a very human story that we can connect with. Cause we know that these things are going to happen, right? Like we constantly get told about them, but reading about them and sort of, I think well, what Sophie was saying, you know, we all sort of felt for Franny and we sort of associated with Franny. So we're now in that world. And it's like, what are we going to do about it? If that makes sense. What about you, Sophie? What do you think the author wants to take away and, and wants us to carry with us once we finish reading the book? Um, definitely, like Greta said, it's, it's a call to action. But what I loved about this book was that it was really subtle. It wasn't like we were being bashed over the head with climate change, fear-mongering. It was just, this is the story. This is where life is. This is what's got us here. And it's like a really... I don't know, a subtle way to make us think and reflect on what, what more we could be doing. Um, but I think it also recognises that most people are trying to do the right thing individually, but we're part of this big machine and society and system that something needs to change up here and we're, we're kind of down here. Um, that's, that's something that I was really thinking about as I read it. But it also made me really think about loneliness and grief and perhaps being a bit more understanding about the, the ways that people deal with that and, and managing how, how people manage that in um, ways that maybe we wouldn't expect them to. Um, obviously, Franny is such a, an unusual um, and unique character in the way that she copes with all of those things. So that was the other takeaway I had from it too. This was a um, quote that I thought was really interesting from the, from the novel. I'm exhausted by my own hypocrisy because I'm just as human and just as responsible as he is. I thought that was a really beautiful moment where Franny herself, she, she fights but she, and she's quite opinionated about her beliefs, but she also recognises that being a human is being just as responsible for the, the state of the world and the state of the planet. Um, I agree with both of what you were saying is that it's, it serves as a warning and it's certainly similar to David Attenborough's A Life on Our Planet. So if you haven't read that, I highly recommend it. Um, his audio book is him narrating it and it's beautiful. Like it's a, it's a really, it's really well done. And I think what it feels, even though it was published after the last migration and grand irony, it kind of feels like Charlotte McConaughey's taken it and gone, well, this is actually what it might look like and feel like. And, um, and that's even a deeper way to connect with that problem itself. It's certainly made me think about things that I do in my life and um, own choices that I've made because the choices that I make are definitely going to impact the future. And th from things like recycling to food waste to uh, clothing, so many different facets of my life. And, and it helps me to kind of know, okay, well, when I don't buy those fruit and vegetables wrapped in plastic, that's why I'm doing it. And even though it might be painful or it might be 50 cents more, it's, it's so worth it because this is actually what could happen to the environment. And I also highly recommend people watching War on Waste, uh, which is on the ABC. So if you are an Australian lit lit listener, it might be a little bit easier for you to find, but it's very manageable. And it also kind of, when you recycle, it shows you what happens to your recycling. And it also highlights some really uh, bigger issues and even things like straws, which thankfully I know here in Queensland by September, they're, they're not, um, they're not going to be in existence anymore, but so many of those little things. So if you've read the book and if you're looking for ways that you can actually make sure you're making a difference, highly recommend uh, War on Waste which is um, on the ABC. 
Uh, there's certainly a few things that I want to talk about in terms of content warnings for this story. And I recently saw a post on Instagram that was encouraging people to ensure that they're putting trigger warnings on their reviews. And I'm certainly guilty of not doing it. And I think I haven't been doing it because I don't really know what to put or I'm worried I might spoil the story or ruin the story for other people. But I've recently started using Storygraph and it's so much more easier for me to go, okay, yeah, but alcoholism might be in this story or addictions in this story. So that certainly helped me to make sure that I'm giving people trigger warnings and putting them there on my Instagram, on my bookstagram as well. Sophie, what would be some content warnings or trigger warnings that you would, you would like to tell people about with this book? Um, definitely a big one would be that environmental anxiety. If you are someone who really struggles with that feeling of environmental doom, um, you would find this book incredibly triggering. Um, I think as well, a big, a big one is suicidal ideation. That's a, a theme throughout the book as well. Um, and yeah, it, it gets quite tricky with content warnings. because I suppose it depends how, how hard you drill down into them. Cause I mean, everyone is triggered by different things and there could be some things in here that I wouldn't even have have thought of as a um, potential trigger that will be really hard for some people to read. Um, but those two were the two that really stuck out to me. What about you, Greta? Is there anything you'd like to add in terms of content warnings? Um, I might be wrong, but I believe there was a sexual assault. Is that right? Or have I made that up? <laughs> yes. Yes. In Newfoundland, uh, just as she, just as I think she's walking home, from somewhere and someone does approach her. Yeah. Yeah. Then I, then I would add that one and then yeah, definitely suicide and sexual assault. And it's interesting th that you said the environmental anxiety, Sophie, because I agree with that, but I don't think it's anything that I personally would have thought of and would have thought of putting as a trigger warning. So you're right it, that it is, it's hard to come up with them. And often to be honest, it's hard to come up with them until either you feel like personally affected by something or you know that someone that you know would be affected by that and then you know, you like remember that you have to put them in, if that makes sense. Yeah, certainly. I, I think, um, do either of you use Storygraph yet or are you both still? No, okay. I'm on Goodreads, but I was going to ask, are you enjoying? Yes. I might, I don't know. Yes, I highly recommend it. I like the little graphs that you get. And also it makes it a little bit easier to write reviews because it asks you a few like key questions about the book first. And then it also, you, you can rate something like 3.5 stars or 3.24 stars or whatever you like. Like you can actually adjust your star rating a little bit more. Um, and I also quite like that it gives you that option of content warnings at the end and you can rank them. So you can say whether they're like moderate, uh, like I think it's moderate, minor or graphic. So you can actually kind of, you can rate the content ratings and it actually gives you the prompts. Like it tells you what potential content warnings could be and you just click which ones you think are suitable. So I highly recommend it. And you can actually import your Goodreads data. So I initially thought like, oh no, I'm going to have to like go in and, and redo everything, but you can import it. What about you, Sophie? That's my worry too with, um, with moving over. I, I use Goodreads just because it's I don't know, easy to, I suppose, but the app I find so clunky and hard to manage sometimes it's really painful. So, but the idea of moving everything over to something else manually was just too much to even think about. So it's good to know that, you know, you can transport it over in that way. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, you can export it. 
um, into an Excel document and then you just import it into StoryGraph. So I, yeah, I, I quite like it. I think it's, it's um, enhancing my reading and you get little graphs as well where you can actually see what types of books you're reading, the average ratings you're giving. Like it's, it's a good little snapshot of data on there as well. Now the how, only, uh, sorry. how many people are using it though? Because one big thing for me is that mm -hmm. I often feel like I align quite well with like a Goodreads rating and I love reading the reviews on there by people who like I don't follow on Bookstagram, like the top reviews. Like is that yeah. on Storygraph as well or? I don't know actually because I don't tend to read too many reviews if, I, if I'm completely honest. I, um, I was mainly using Goodreads to kind of uh, track my reading um, and the books that I've read or the books that I want to read. But I think you potentially can because you also have the option to make your reviews private. So you also don't have to, um, to share what you're reading either. Um, in terms of content warnings, just to quickly backtrack, the only other thing that I would add in there is definitely um, body horror and the car accident. It doesn't happen at all right at the very end of the story. And I mean, I'm going to tell you at the beginning of this episode that it does contain some spoilers, but if a car accident is something that's particularly triggering for you, I would certainly probably, um, yeah, put a big warning there for you for that one. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about to do with the book at all, ladies? I just wanted to say that um, when I was reading this, I really was re um, relating it back to Where the Crawdads Sing. Um, and Below Deck. So if you liked um, Crawdads and Below Deck, it's, if those two had come together and made a love child, it would be this book. So if you liked those and you haven't read this, please give it a go. Um, just yeah, like that similar nature writing, um, that really lyrical prose, just, yeah, those two books really reminded me of, of this one. I totally agree. I remember reading it and being like, this is so similar to Below Deck, which I adored as well. And it's so lovely seeing like these Australian authors just pumping out this amazing fiction. So definitely would recommend if you've read Below Deck and you enjoyed. Did you guess the Nile backstory? Um, to be honest, it has been so long since I read it now that I can't remember how my reading experience went with that part of the narrative. Um, so I don't know if I can even answer that question. <laughs> I think I started to pick up on it, but it would have only been like a handful of pages before we actually got to the moment where he wasn't alive anymore. And I think the the little clue that gave it away for me is that um, his mother was the person who was happy to take Franny on when she got out of, of jail and parole. Um, and that, that, that spoke volumes of the fact that she wasn't guilty of the crime. So that, that sort of started to give it away. But I, I thought it might have been Niall's father and Niall who died because there stopped being references to Niall's father as well. So, yeah, I picked it, but not, not, not very early at all. Probably about the time where the author wants us to start, like, preparing that there's going to be a really messy ending. <laughs> Uh, and also, I think before we end, I just want to let you know that Charlotte McConaughey's second uh, literary fiction work is due for release on the 3rd of August. So not long now at all. And when this podcast uh, is going to be released, it'll probably be the week before it's due to come out. It's called Once We Were Wolves. And here's just a little excerpt of what the book is about. Young scientist Inti Flynn arrives in the Scottish Highlands with a singular purpose, to reintroduce wolves into the forest. 
Her efforts to rewild the dying landscape are met with fierce opposition from the locals who fear for the safety and their way of life. And I thought this is quite interesting because Franny, our character and her husband, Niall, actually go to Scotland to um, assist in one of the zoos there. So I feel like we might actually have a little bit of, um, we might have a little bit of a crossover narrative in this story. Yeah, I'm really excited for this one. It sounds amazing. And I thought the same thing, actually, when I read the synopsis, that I love books that maybe don't have, they're not like a follow-on, but they have that little nod to the previous work. So um, I'm really hoping that we see a bit of that in it. But yeah, I can't wait to read that one. It sounds like it's going to have a lot of that same beautiful um, nature writing and um, yeah, environmental impact um, writing that we loved so much in The Last Migration. I agree. I, I love a crossover book. Also, I think mainly because I just love the author, like writing the book and thinking, oh, there's more here to this story. And it's a whole book's worth. <laughs> like, I just love that sort of idea of them doing that. Yes, I'm definitely looking forward to reading that one as well. So thank you so much for joining me on the Bookstorium podcast today, ladies. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me as well. You have been listening to the Bookstorium podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and follow me on Instagram at the Bookstorian Podcast.